Hey, what's up, Warrior? It's Jeff here from Warrior Life, and welcome to podcast episode number 457. So this week, we finish up our three-part series on how infantry soldiers prep for a long-haul hike with a backpack so that I can share some insider tips that you can use for your own prepping in case of a worst-case scenario, forced evacuation from your home. Now, this week, I'm going to focus our final show in this series on strategies that you can use while en route to your Plan B safe zone to help you arrive as fast as possible and in the best shape possible. Trust me, the top 10 tactics that I have for you this week were all learned the hard way. And it's my hope that you never have to use these strategies. But if you do, I promise you that each one of these tips will make a huge difference in your level of readiness while others are going to be suffering alongside the road. In fact, I highly suggest you also grab our one-page cheat sheet for this week's show that covers all the main points here and add it to your training binder along with all the other cheat sheets that we have waiting for you all absolutely free inside the Loot Locker section of our site. So you can grab these as well as all of our special reports, our audio programs, and more just by going on over to warriorlife.com slash loot. Now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? Jeff Anderson here, warriorlife.com and Warrior Academy. And welcome to the third installment in our three-part series on how infantry soldiers prepare for long-haul road marches, which equates to how you can prepare for a forced evacuation bug-out scenario where all you have to be able to get you from point A to point B, which is your safe zone, is your bug out bag and your LPCs or your leather personnel carriers. Now, just to be able to get this out of the way right away, yes, of course, your house is most likely going to be your best place to be able to weather a, any sort of disaster or other type of a crisis. You've got shelter there, you have security there, you have your stuff there, your food, water, maybe things like that. So yeah, that's most likely where you're going to be for any sort of a disaster or other crisis. However, if it's not the best place to be because either the uh, disaster is, has you in its crosshairs or your area for whatever reason, whether it's looting, some other trigger happens that no longer makes it the safest place for you to be and you have to get to another location, you're going to have to get on the road. You're going to have to bug out. When that happens, of course, your best means of transportation is going to be getting inside of your vehicle and getting on your pre-planned route to be able to get to your safe zone. However, bad things can happen along the way. You can hit that virtual parking lot, and now your vehicle is no longer going to be your transportation. Hopefully, you have some sort of alternative means of transportation. That could be a bicycle that you have rigged out for you to be able to travel. It could be a motorcycle. It could be a four-wheeler. Whatever it is that you have... Hopefully, you've got an alternative means of transportation. However, things can still go wrong. The warrior never quits, which means that you have to be prepared for putting on your bug out bag and getting the rest of the way with nothing but your feet to be able to get you there. Now, in this three-part series, I talked about how infantry soldiers prepare for these types of things. Now, when I was in 10th Mountain Division, every year we did a 100-mile road march. It was 25 miles a day for four days. Any other time, whether we were on missions or whether we were in training, we were walking everywhere that we went. So I learned the hard way 
about the things that work and the things that don't work. Now, in the first installment of this three-part series, I talked about what to look for in a bug-out bag that was going to be most comfortable for you and was specifically going to be geared for helping you get to your destination when that's on your back. In the second installment, we talked about gear that you can put inside of your bug-out bag specifically for supporting your foot travel from point A to point B. So go ahead and check out those other two episodes if you missed any of that, that information. In this third installment, I'm gonna be taking you through the top 10 tactics that I learned, again, the hard way for how to make your trip, like things to support yourself during the travel by foot to your destination. All right, so top 10 tactics. So let's go ahead and jump right into these now. So tip number one is going to be to plan your forced evacuation bug out just as you would, just as we did, with a military mission. Now, I say this a lot, even like I say this in our, in our survival masterclass, that bugging out is very much like a military mission. From the standpoint of your goal in the military is to get from point A, so it's our starting, it's our, it's our area of operations, we're going to go to our objective, our plan B. All right, so we have to map out how we're going to get there. And it's gonna depend upon terrain, weather, time of the year, the, uh, in, the enemy, the supplies that they have, supplies that we have, what the mission objective is. There's a lot of different factors that goes into an operations order that determines how are we going to accomplish our mission. And part of that is the route that we're going to take to get there, who we have with us, what gear we have with us, all those different things. Same as with a survival scenario when you're looking to bug out. Your goal is to get from point A to point B as quickly and as safely as you possibly can. Now in the military, if it's a combat mission, it might be the enemy that's out there. That's a threat that we have to take into account. So we have to know where the enemy is. We have to use the terrain to our advantage. Same thing goes when you are bugging out. The enemy might be different. It could be other people that are, I mean, it's a battle for resources now. If the grid goes down or if fuel is no longer available, the grocery stores have been picked clean. Everybody is trying to get the same resources and everybody's gonna be battling out there. So you have a couple different trade-offs here. So if you are forced to evacuate on foot, it's going to be faster for you to go by road. So staying on the road, it's going to be even pavement. It's going to be easier to travel on. You're gonna be able to get to your destination usually faster and less chance for injury because it's flat. You don't really have a lot of obstacles there. However, it is going to put you out in the open. So if anybody comes by or spots you or if they're watching the roads for other people that could be coming by that they might have a, a look out there, maybe another vehicle is gonna come up on, on you and take your gear from you. So you are more exposed when you are traveling by the road. So there's a trade-off there. Likewise, if you go cross country, it's going to be more covert typically. You're gonna be able to use the terrain to your advantage. However, it is going to most likely be slower even if it is a shorter distance. So you're gonna have this uneven terrain. You might have more mountains to go through. You might have water obstacles where you have to get across a stream or over a marshy area. You are potentially going to get your gear wet, your feet wet. That might make it harder for you later on. There are a lot of different things there. Also, if you twist your ankle, you pull a muscle because you stepped on a rock and it flipped over or you're trying to get across a stream and you slip on a rock in there and all of a sudden now you've got a cut foot or you have a twisted ankle, now you're gonna make things even harder for you to be able to get there. So there's some, tra there's some trade-offs there with, uh, with which direction you take, all right? But 
You've got to know where they are. Um, and that's why you want to look at where these are on a map. So it might not be from your home location to your point B. You should have maps to be able to get you there if you have to. But if you're traveling and you're in your vehicle and you get stopped, that could be your point, your next point A. Now you, get to, you have to get to point B from there. So that's why we say you have to have some sort of a, a terrain map. So that's why I recommend a gazetteer map, which has both terrain on it and it also has uh, streets on it. So it's a good combination of the two. You might have a topographical map for the area, but wherever you are planning to get to, you need to have a topographical map or a gazetteer to be able to get you from your starting location to there. So all the way along your entire route there. So you wanna know what those hazards are on the map. So look for water obstacles that will be there. It could be terrain that is very, very steep. Also, you wanna look for what water resources are around the area. You are going to need water resupply. And if you are in an urban area, you might be able to find water from faucets or other locations that are out there. But again, that might be areas that are more dangerous. Likewise, if you're going cross country, you wanna make sure that you do know where there are streams, where are there ponds, where are there lakes up there. You wanna navigate around those areas so that you can get there and resupply your water along the way. Anytime that you see water along the way, again, one of the reasons why we have an inline water filter in our water bladder that we talked about in the last episode um, is so that we can go to any water resource that we can get to and go ahead and just scoop up the water and we know that it's gonna be clean. So anytime you see water, go ahead and drink as much as you can from what you have and then fill it back up with your water bladder there, right? But you wanna know where those things are on the map and think about those when you are traveling to your uh, safe zone destination. All right, tip number two, is the travel when it is gonna be the coolest out. So even in, if it is uh, winter time or fall, it's gonna be temperatures are gonna be a little bit lower, you're still going to be sweating. And you wanna make sure that you are holding on to as much water as possible. And you don't wanna get rid of those, you know, sweat out those electrolytes that you're going to need to be able to not cramp up and be able to get to your destination, all right? So you wanna to start to look at dusk to dawn as being your travel time. Now that's going to give you perhaps a little bit more security so you're not out there in the open where people might see you. So you're gonna be able to travel a little bit more covertly there. In fact, we would typically plan our missions if we were attacking an objective, we would plan them very often for dawn. So we would set in at night, get into our positions and then right at, at, as the sun is just about to come up is actually when the, it's harder to see out there. And so that's a better time for you to be able to travel because you're gonna have the benefit of dusk and dawn and even the nighttime hours as well. Now, the other thing I'll say if you are traveling at night is to have a pack that is not going to give you away. One of the reasons why we chose the specific indigo color blue for our X-Bob backpacks and our scram bag and our, and our Strack pack is that the, that color blue in the light spectrum is very hard for the eye to pick up. And so at nighttime, that's why we call it the invisible bug out bag, because at nighttime, the, the eye of anybody that might be looking out there is not going to see you as easily if you have a blue pack like, like that, especially like that indigo color. Now, it will, even if you have like a black pack or a camouflage pack, those are going to stand out more than blue is going to. So I recommend that you find a blue pack if you can. Our right, tip number, number three is going to really challenge a lot of people out there. 
So when we were doing our road marches, or uh, especially when we were doing our road march, especially like the 100 mile road march, eventually your feet are gonna get chewed up. Like it, we're wearing our combat boots out there and we're walking along and step after step after step, eventually your feet are gonna start to get chewed up. In the last episode, I talked about some things that are gonna help you to be able to avoid all of that. But what would happen was is somebody started getting blisters and it became more and more unbearable for them to, uh, to continue walking they didn't just stop and quit. I mean, we're all getting there as a unit. But the first step to alleviate that pain, once it got too much for them to be able to, uh, to, be able to deal with, was to put on their running shoes. So that was something we had with us in our packs. At the night when we settled in, we would go ahead and put those on to give our feet a break. We didn't have those combat boots on all the time. We let our combat boots dry out. But we would put on our running shoes. And so for those people that were marching, but their feet were just getting, they were tore up like hamburger, the first step would be to put them into running shoes. And of course, we would all make fun of everybody that was in their running shoes because it was considered kind of a badge of shame, if you will. The next step from there was you were in the back of the Humvee. If you couldn't, if you couldn't continue to walk, even in your tennis shoes, then you were in the back of the Humvee. Even more shame back there. Now, when it comes to a forced evacuation, we're talking about life or death. If you're evacuating and you are, are forced to and you have to put your backpack on, you do not want to tough it out. You don't want to grind it out with your combat boots on. So what I tell people to do is to instead use trail runners as your primary footwear that you're going to bug out in over any sort of military style boot or even hiking boots that are out there. So I, I say this for a number of reasons. So one, trail runners are geared for the trail. So even if you go cross country, they're gonna have a sole on them that's gonna have really good traction on them. You also, the soles on them are, are very thin. You'll be able to feel the ground a lot better. So you're actually gonna get better balance and traction in trail runners than you are in a heavily sole boot. One of the trade-offs for that is you have to watch where you're walking. If you're in urban environments and there's nails around like that, that's not going to get stopped too well by trail runners. So you have to be very cautious of that. The other thing about trail runners is that they are very well ventilated. They have a cloth upper. They're very lightweight. So they're very, uh, they, they are very, uh, they're very breathable. So it's going to keep your feet drier. As we said in our last episode, you want, you know, friction and moisture are the enemies of your feet. You're going to get blistered up if you do that. So these are gonna keep your feet drier. They're gonna keep your, uh, you're just gonna have less wear and tear. You're gonna have less blisters and your, your feet are gonna be much, much happier. Now, on the weight perspective, let me do some funky math here for you. So I have a pair of combat boots from, this is from when I was in 10th Mountain and weighed these. These are the ones that we would typically wear on our road marches and these are 65 ounces. Now the trail runners are 17 ounces. That's a difference of 48 ounces or three pounds between the two of them. Now, if you don't know what your pace count is, we always had to know where our pace count was so we could, we could do land navigation. So my pace count is 120 steps, left, right, left, right, is going to be one click or one kilometer. We always go by one step, so 60 steps on one, on one foot. So if we look at that as 120 steps for one kilometer, and we take the difference between these, which is three pounds difference, or one and a half pounds per step, at 120 steps, that is going to be 288 pounds is going to be the difference 
for every, uh, is it every kilometer or is it every mile? I think it's for every mile. Uh, 288 pounds for, is going to be a difference. I think when I did that math, I think it was for, like, for one mile. That's, that's going to be a lot. All right? Think about that for a 100-mile road march. Right? Now we're talking about like 28,000 pounds difference from just from you lifting up your feet and what you're carrying for weight there. All right, so trail runners are going to be your footwear of choice. All right, tip number four is to use the waist belt on your bug out bag. This was one of the things we talked about when it was choosing your bug out bag. I said you've got to have an extra wide, extra padded, thick waist belt that's going to go around on your hips because you're going to wear your bag on your hips. That's where you're going to put your weight. It's going to give you more mobility. It's going to take the stress off of your shoulders and your back. You're going to be, have much less fatigue. Trust me on this. You are going to want to cinch that thing up tight on your hips. Unfortunately, and, and after, we did, after I did that episode, a bunch of people contacted me like, what about this bag? What do you think about this bag? What do you think about that bag? I can tell you that if, you, if it does not have a, an extra wide, thick padded waistband, just don't even buy it, all right? I just... One of the things, I'm not going to say who the manufacturer is of the bag, but I paid almost $500 for this three-day backpack right here. And the, the waist strap for it is nothing more than a single belt here. Almost $500 for the bag. And this was an afterthought. Seriously, like this is a somebody who has never, ever actually had to road march for any distance whatsoever. That nylon strap is just going to dig down into your hips. It's going to get bloody. It's going to be excruciating pain. You're going to want to take that belt off, and now you're putting all the stress on your shoulders and your back. All right? So definitely have the waist belt. That's in another episode, but use your waist belt for, uh, for, for getting everything set up when you're actually traveling. All right? All right, tip number five is to make sure that you adjust your bug out bag right now. So it's not just a place to hold your gear. You want to make sure that you put this thing on, you wear it around, even if it's just around your house. A lot of people will put gear inside of their bag and not really think about how they're packing it inside of there. All of a sudden you put it on, you start feeling like that little camp stove that you stuck in there is starting to dig into your, your, the, the back of your ribs here. You want to make sure that you get it as comfortable as possible um, right now before you actually have to put it on. Now is the time to do that. The other thing is that when you do actually get on the road and you are evacuating, you want to make sure that you stop after 15 minutes and take your first break. That's to be able to make sure that you can adjust anything that's there. I do the same thing even when we're traveling by vehicle, right? Like put a bunch of stuff up on the, uh, up on top of the, up on top of the car, up on the roof rack and take off and everything that was tight before now that you've got wind resistance there and it's moving things around, hit a few turns there, a few stops, all of a sudden the straps aren't so tight anymore. So you stop after a few miles, after five, 10 miles or so, strap everything down, retighten it, make sure that everything is good to go. All those floppy straps, tuck them in so they're not driving you crazy the whole trip. Same thing goes with your bug out bag. Take your first break at 15 minutes and readjust things as you need to. I think in one of the other episodes, we talked about making sure that you have your heaviest stuff around your midsection, like down by your hips. That's going to take less stress off also. So you, but one of the benefits of having a tactical style bag, again, we want you to be tactical, but don't look tactical. But one of the advantages of that is you can shift things around. You can take a molly pack off, put it in another location. If, it's, if, you're, if your weight isn't adjusted just right, you can make sure that you um, do that. Trust me, when you, you're going to start feeling, you might not feel it in your living room, but after a few miles of walking with your pack 
it's going to start to, you're going to start to feel it like maybe more on one side. You're going to notice that maybe your left strap is a little bit looser than your right strap and that your right shoulder is taking on more of the weight than your left shoulder is. And so it's a lot easier to adjust those things when you take a break. So after about 15 minutes, you're going to go ahead and stop and go ahead and take a break there. That's going to be your first break. All right, uh, tip number six is you want to stop every 45 minutes when you're walking for a 10 to 15 minute break. We did this all the time and there's very good reason for it. So you wanna make sure that um, one, you're giving your body a break. So you take this stuff off, it's going to give your, um, it's gonna reduce inflammation. You don't wanna just grind your way through it. You're not gonna, you might think that you're gonna make it there faster, you're not going to. You wanna stop and go ahead and give your body a break. Now, for tip number seven, when you are at your stop, you want to make sure that you are going through a self-care routine that you have, right? So I'm going to tell you right now. So for us, with a fully loaded pack, it was a 35-pound pack was standard, but we also had like our weapon. We had communication equipment, extra batteries. We had a bunch of extra crap there. But it, it was about like about three and a half miles is what we would do in about 45 minutes or so, all right? So that'll help you gauge if you are carrying a backpack. Now, it all depends upon your level of fitness as well. And it's also the weakest link in the chain is going to, you're going to be as, as slow as they are going to be. But figure about that. I mean, but I would say figure less than that because we were, I mean, we were soldiers who did this every week. We were doing a road march to be able to stay, to stay in shape specifically for carrying our packs for an extended distance. All right. So for you, it might only be two and a half or three miles that you're going to make in that same time period. So don't think that you have to just grind it out. So stop every 45 minutes. Now, tip number seven, the self-care routine. What you want to do is when you stop, take your shoes off, take your socks off, air out your feet. You want everything to stay dry. Take the, take the socks out if it is nice and sunny out. If you're, if you're going then, just go ahead and lay them out in the sun. If, it is tra if you're traveling at night, go ahead and hang them up somewhere. You want to get them as dry as possible, but change out your socks. So you want to use, um, first do self-care. So if you have any red spots or any blisters, you want to use the moleskin that we talked about in the last episode. There's a, a specific way that you do that with blisters. If it's just getting red, you can go ahead and put the moleskin directly on that red spot to take off the friction. But you want to change out all of your socks, pantyhose, dress socks, whatever it is. Change those out, put on a fresh pair that's gonna be nice and dry. If it is not raining out, you wanna take your other socks, maybe put them on the outside of your pack so that they can dry on that next leg of your journey there. So you're gonna do self-care on your feet, um, first aid-wise. Then you're gonna put, put on powder, and then you're gonna put on your additional socks, and then you're gonna put your, other, your footwear back on, and then you're gonna head on out after that. Now also, if you can, you wanna make sure that you're taking a short nap. So you're, they're gonna be, you're gonna be there for about 10 to 15 minutes. Make sure that you are definitely taking care of security. So we would always establish a perimeter and everybody was still keeping an eye out, make sure the enemy wasn't out there. So you don't wanna just go ahead and snooze. So if you are alone, find a place that you are going to be out of harm's way, maybe hidden. If you have other people with you, you might wanna trade off, but if you can get a short nap in there, go ahead and do that. All right, tip number eight is going to be to share the weight. So we were a team, we were a unit. So if we were traveling somewhere and somebody was either injured or their feet were getting torn up, they couldn't, maybe they were a smaller frame person, they couldn't carry as much weight and they have the same packing list that we did. 
So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you can share the weight among the other team members there. It's one of the reasons why I say I do like the tactical pack for the purposes. You don't want to look tactical, but Molly compatible gear is going to help you to adjust that. So if I have somebody on the team that is not able to go as far, I can go ahead and take off one of their packs and go ahead and put it on my pack on the Molly gear somewhere. One of the reasons why we integrated the scram bag and the strack pack and we built it that way was that it could just be taken off. And that, I mean, kids can still carry some weight with them. So they might, even if it's just handling the strack pack or it has their things in them, or if it's your everyday carry bag, I, I carry our, our strack pack for everyday carry for my laptop and things like that. Whole other uh, episode that we did, but this is the get to the bag bag is not a get home bag. It's get to the bag bag, get to the bag bag. But when you get to your bag, it just integrates with it. So likewise, out on the trail, out on the road, you can go ahead and take that off, give it to somebody else, take it, integrate it into your pack if, it's, if it has that ability. And then from there, you, you carry on. You've got to make sure that everybody gets there to that destination. All right, tip number nine is going to be to suck on hard candy during, you know, when you're on, when you're on foot. So I can tell you like Jolly Ranchers were like a food group for us in the military, if, I mean, at least in the infantry. So when we were road marching, we were sucking on those things all the time. So one, it's going to, it's going to quench your thirst a little bit just by giving you more saliva in your mouth. But it's the sugar and the sweetness that, yeah, there's going to be some, you know, the sugar is going to give you some additional carbohydrates, some fast acting sugars that are going to give you some energy. It's going to replace muscle glycogen, which is going to be the, uh, one of the first fuel sources that your body is going to take up. It's going to start to pull the stored sugar in your muscle groups, and it's going to use that for energy. And so the fastest way to replenish that muscle glycogen so you don't cramp up is going to be sugar. Jolly Ranchers just suck away on them. It's going to also take your, uh, your mind off of the pain. That sweetness is going to stimulate those brain chemicals that are going to give you some endorphins and hit that serotonin where it's going to make you feel a little bit better so you're not going to feel the pain as much. It's going to, um, Jolly Ranchers, like it, I'm telling you, it is just going to be one of the, the, the saviors for you. If you have kids with you, they're whining and complaining, stick that thing in their mouth and uh, let's let them just suck away on hard candy the whole time. So, um, so that is going to be tip number nine is going to be some sort of hard candy. Jolly Ranchers are our preferred candy of choice there. All right, and finally, tip number 10 is do not wait to drink water. This is a huge problem. And I must tell you, we, we learned this in the military. In fact, it was even in the, uh, the, the common task manual, the CTT manual, the common task training. We were always on the lookout with our soldiers, making sure that they were drinking water. But Sergeant, I'm not, I'm not thirsty. I don't care if you're not thirsty. Drink water. We forced everybody to drink water. Because by the time you get thirsty, you are no longer in the safe zone. You have to know what those heat illnesses are. There's going to be uh, heat cramps, then it goes to heat exhaustion, then it goes to heat stroke, which is ultimately dangerous. All three of them can be dangerous. But you don't want to wait until you're thirsty you're thirsty before you're actually drinking any kind of water there. I can tell you that on our 100-mile road marches, we went through, per soldier, five gallons of water every single day. Every single day. Another reason why you want to make sure you know where those water resources are. Now, we had resupply, 
but you've got to make sure that you are drinking water steadily, all right? If you start to get cramps in your muscles, you know that you are not getting enough water in. If you are starting to get the chills, it's because you've probably stopped sweating, and now that evaporation of the sweat on your body is causing you to feel colder, you are starting to go into heat exhaustion. You wanna make sure that you are watching this very closely and you're drinking water little by little. You don't wanna guzzle it all down, just keep sipping away on water, which is another reason why you wanna make sure that you have one of these you know, inline water filters, you got your water bladder inside of your pack, uh, inside of your pack, and you are replenishing it whenever you can, all right? All right, so those are the top 10 on the trail tactics for um, preparing for a long haul march with your backpack or a forced evacuation, all right? Now, I know I've got some soldiers out there. What are some other things that you have learned on the trail out there hauling ass with, with nothing but your rucksack on your back? What are some of the other tricks that you've learned along the way that make it easier, faster, and less painful to be able to get from point A to point B? Go ahead and please leave your comments wherever you are either listening to our podcast. You can go over to our warriorlife.com website. There's a podcast section there. You can go to warriorlifepodcast.com. That'll take you there as well. If you're watching us on any of the social media channels, please go ahead and leave a comment there. We do try to get in there and read every single one of them. And if we do end up using one of you, maybe one of your tips in a future episode, we will also send you a thank you gift in the mail. We'll reach out and contact you as well. So please go ahead and let us know some of your own tips when it comes to bugging out on foot. All right. And until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying, live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.